Hey, you ever needed something for your home but don't have the cash or credit to pay for it? You can do that at Aaron's. Yep, you can rent to own appliances like washers, dryers, or refrigerators, furniture for your living room or bedroom, even tech. Plus, Aaron's has great brands like HP, Samsung, and Ashley. Life's always changing. Keep it, return it, upgrade it. Aaron's fits your life instead of the other way around. So check out your nearest Aaron's store or visit Aaron's.com to see what I'm talking about. Approval isn't guaranteed and some restrictions apply. You got to see your local store for details. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years and not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. Decked drawer systems. I've always loved Decked, as is, but it's even better now because they just redesigned their drawer system in storage cases from the ground up. They got the Deco case line. These cases are as tough if not tougher than Pelican case or Go boxes. Totally waterproof and dustproof. You can literally run over them in your truck and they will be fine. High quality latches and handles make them really easy to use. They look great. They are made in the USA. To check it out, go to decked.com slash meat eater. Get yourself free shipping. This is the Meat Eater Podcast coming at you shirtless, severely bug-bitten, and in my case, underwearless. We hunt the Meat Eater Podcast. You can't predict anything. Uh, Kurt Roscoe, dude, wrote in to say that you were harder than a woodpecker's. I want to say like a woodpecker's pecker, but that wasn't what he said. But it had a ring to it, but it was like harder than a woodpecker's beak. But I don't think that was it. I guess referring, that's a compliment. Yeah, it is a compliment. <laughs> but he was referring more to the eating of uh, <laughs> the eating of your trick, of your hot tip, of just instead of putting boiling water into freeze-dry food envelopes, you just put regular water in there at noon in order that it'll be fully rehydrated by nighttime. Yeah. Yeah. And that makes one harder than a woodpecker's pecker <laughs> or whatever it was. Uh, were, awesome. were you employing that strategy on your... I did a couple of days, yeah. Yeah, but it got so cold. That was one thing I didn't you know, mention before is it got so cold that you know, sometimes it just never rehydrates or it, it was oh. you know, it was freezing. It was, it was snowing. So that can create its own problems too. So but, what were you doing then? I brought more fuel. Surprisingly <laughs> enough, after our conversations, I got to thinking about a couple of things. And I thought, you did. You did on several things. The first thing is, is that I brought a pair of sunglasses. Oh, okay. you did? Yeah. But they were a cheap pair and I lost them on the hike end. So they didn't do me much so good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So some so, dudes loving it. Yeah. Yeah. Some guys I liked like, it. And then I stuffed them in my pocket. And next thing they're gone. And that's the way it goes. See, I haven't brought, uh, I didn't bring sunglasses, doll sheep hunting. I didn't bring a elk hunting. You talked me out of it. <laughs> and we wouldn't have used them on our sheep hunt. There was maybe a day. But, you know, up there, too, I feel like the sun's so low. It's not like 
you know, at those higher uh, latitudes, right, where you're not getting that like direct sun as, as much. Yeah, it just is like you've seen that stuff where you're hunting at super high latitudes, where especially you get later in the year, where it just seems like it's dawn, and then sometime around one or two o'clock, nothing changes, but you just all of a sudden register it as evening. Yeah, because the sun is at this super low, shallow angle, way off at the horizon. And it just is like dawn all day, and at some point you just jump to thinking of it as the evening, and it never feels like midday. No, it, it's almost a flat light. It seems yeah. like almost like a, a cloudy day. Yeah, type of. It's never that just you know bearing down on you. Yeah, but you went out and uh, so you tell us what happened because we like talked about the prelude. This is this is Kurt doing the impossible hunt. Yeah. So um, explain the impossible. I like to call it the impossible hunt, though I've never done it. Yeah. Well, uh, so and we've talked about it before. There are five districts in the state of Montana that are, they call them the unlimited sheep hunts. And they're unlimited in the sense that anybody can purchase a tag from anywhere and go. And each each one of the units has a quota, uh, typically right around two sheep, two legal rams, which uh, in most cases ends up being, you know, a five-year-old ram. It's a, a check their eggs, but kind of a four and five-eighths or a... Uh, uh, what would it say? Little under three quarter, and and so from there, uh, the season stays open for about two and a half months, all the way through regular rifle season, as long as the quota stays open. And that's really kind of the. Nuts how many and times have you it. tried to do it? Uh, I've hunted it four years and killed yeah, one ram. Killed one, yeah, yeah. Well, it, I I should clarify. I will have hunted it four years by next year. So, yeah, I've, I've hunted it three years so far. Because if you third. get one, you have to take seven years you off. You have to take seven years off, yeah. So you just finished your seven-year hiatus and went this year. Yep, went this you year. You did see a single... Hold on, I don't no. understand. This was your fourth season or not? No, next year will be my fourth season. Okay. I thought you said, like, how many times are you so, going to so hunt you, it? you did it once. Yep. You did the unlimited unit once. Yep. And saw sheep or didn't see sheep? I didn't see sheep. Okay, you did it once and didn't see it. You did it again, killed one. Yep. Waited seven years. Yep. Did it. And we'll get to what happened. Yeah. Didn't see shit. Nope. And then next year you're going, who knows? <laughs> yeah, yeah, who knows? Yeah, that, that'll that be the fun part. Didn't see a single one. Nope, didn't see a single one. Were and, you looking? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's all you do. You know, go, so you go, went go into like your secret special canyon. Yeah, yeah. Which you hunted before. I did. And didn't see any in. I did. Well, I headed that direction. I made it nine miles in when I hunted it the last time, and this time went a bit further and got to about 17 miles and, uh, you know, kind of started working my way back from there. And yeah, that was just the program. You know, you get to a nice spot where you can glass and then spend as much of the day behind the spotting scope and binoculars as you can, just trying to pick out, you know, you're looking little rock slides, avalanche shoots, any, anywhere you think it's going to hold game and just keep changing your angle, try and find embedded during the day and, Obviously, the hot times are in the evenings and in the mornings. So, so they're pretty uh, crepuscular, like just like an elk or a mule deer. Like you're going to see them on their feet mostly early and late. Yeah, I think typically. But the other thing I've found too is uh, that I haven't found necessarily, especially elk, is that you'll see them get up and move around during the day at random times. Like uh, take a leak and shift uh, around. No, I've caught move. them. I've caught them feeding. Okay, you know, in the middle of the day or you know late mornings. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, you just never know. I think the key is just to be behind the glass and be ready for whenever they are moving. 
What uh, name for me the mammals that you saw that weigh over two pounds? I saw grizzly bear, black bear, goats, a couple of mule deer on the way in, and that was it. It's pretty devoid of game. No elk. No elk. Uh, not even an elk. Track. How many grizzlies? Just one. Yeah. Way off or up in your business? No, huh? He was he was just right across the canyon, right where I was glassing for sheep. Yeah, yeah. just rummaging around. What was the black bear doing? He was running away from me. Yeah, I jumped him in the timber coming oh, back did out. You? Yeah. No yeah, elk. So, no elk. And how many days did you spend glassing? Ah, uh, six. I was in there six. And then the unit shut down. The unit shut down. Yeah. Have you yeah. talked to the guys that wound up getting them? No, huh? Have you heard I didn't. Any rumors? Uh, yeah, you know, you hear little rumors. I don't know exactly where they were. Um, but, you know, the first one happened pretty quick, and then uh, the second one was a few days into the season. And did you run into any other sheep hunters? I did. Not not where I was, but when I got back to about the nine-mile mark, uh, I saw a couple more camps in that area. And then, you know, a few other camps on the way out Oh, from really? there. Yeah. Yeah, so did you talk to anybody? I didn't. No, uh-uh. I just, nobody was around. Horse camp? There was one camp that was a horse camp. Uh, I was really surprised to see horses back in there. I hadn't seen them that far. Because uh, it's, uh, it's too rough a ground for horses. Yeah, yeah. I'm no expert on horses, but it is it is just chunky, rocky, boulder, you know, lots of exposure in spots. Um, so, yeah, I was, I was surprised to see them there. What was the longest period you sat sitting in one spot that you spent sitting in one spot without moving your without moving at all probably three or four hours and then I'd, I'd try to get up and at least change you know by a couple hundred yards but the wind that so my camp was up over eleven thousand feet and i just you'd have to find spots that are secluded or hidden behind rocks to just because the wind it just relentless freezing you know, your for, butt well it's cold and, and then you can't keep your glass still oh that kind of wind yeah yeah you know 30 40 mile an hour wind coming across some of those plateaus during the day so that, um, eat, that eats away at your soul after a while dude. it does you, dude it starts to make you feel one. like you're going a little bit insane man <laughs> yeah <laughs> it can the wind does to it me. does yeah so you know but being able to tuck off of one edge and get into some you know larger boulders there's a lot of structure in there so if you can find a nice spot but it all just depended on wind direction and you know where you were but i had uh i have several other friends that were hunting the district so including me there was you know four other groups of good buddies that i talked to after they got out and between our four groups you know one group saw two sheep and so it was just it was one of those years you know they're there they're not so do you feel that they were in your did you just hunt one canyon no, I hunted. I I had a I had a plan where I just sequentially worked through the different canyons, and it, and it really depended on on the time of day too, because there's some stuff you can't glass in the morning that that'd be better to glass in the evening, or the sun comes up, you get the glare, you just can't pick it apart like you need to, or or the wind. You know, it's hard to be on one side of the mountain when you're getting this constant wind coming through in the morning. Are you seeing nice beds and nice sheep shit and everything? Uh, no, there isn't a lot up and that's, that's kind of the difference is, uh, I was glassing from a spot that really isn't going to hold sheep. You know, you're, you're where you're sitting. Is yeah. Hold sheep, yeah. Yeah. You're yeah. Looking where, where the camping, beds would be, but that's yeah. it. Yeah. Trying to find good vantage. You should have been with us, man. We saw a dandy. Yeah. Real dandy. Different if, state. Yeah. If you had a permit <laughs> in Southeast Washington. 
Yeah, a lot of beds, a lot of tracks, and then one nice big ram. So is the fact that you're calling this the impossible hunt because it's an unlimited hunt, everyone's going and they're chasing them, and there's just... Success rates are like abysmal. Yeah. Yeah. For example, the unit I hunted this year, they didn't ever take a ram out of last year. Wow. Two and a half month season. Yeah. This isn't the units where they're trying to wipe them out. No, 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 right? Okay. No, no. that, yeah, that was, that was a little bit different. That was a very unique situation down in the Tendoys here. Yeah. And that was like a pneumonia thing. That was a pneumonia thing. Yeah. Yeah. That they decided to, you know, turn over and ask the hunters to to help with the management of it. Mm -hmm. Can you, I have 17 bighorn points. Can I do the unlimited hunt without using my 17 points? That's a really good question. I'm not sure. I believe you can. Because, man, I want to go. I know at some point you'd lose them, though, so I don't know if you could put in or if you could. That'd be something you'd have to check in the rigs. What I needed to happen is you to get one and then you to want to go and just mess around <laughs> during your seven-year <laughs> for period. The, for the next seven and years. And I would go with you after I draw my regular one. See, that's that's probably a good plan. So there's a lot of steps that need to fall into place here, but I'm kind of curious about it, man. Yeah. Um, okay, so not a single elk. A lot of wind. A lot of wind. Were you regretting or were you liking it? Oh, no, huh? It was perfect. It was, I mean, it was, it was a great hunt. Yeah, the only thing is it just wasn't long enough. And it snowed on you. Yeah, it snowed on me one day. It was, and, you know, in my position, one of the things that's, that's really important is getting good days of field to test yeah. new products. So that was, that was a big part of being able to do that. And those type of conditions are very conducive to doing that. To see the um, limits of stuff. Yeah, see the limits of stuff and see how they truly perform. Because it's one thing to go out and wear something for a hike. It's a totally mm-hmm. different thing to live in it. Yeah. Yeah. So. What kind of stuff are you testing? Uh, we have. Like future things? Yeah. Yeah. We, we have quite a bit of stuff coming out here in January. So Yeah, you can get all tight-lipped now, right? <laughs> yeah, there's, there's some of it that, just that give I'm like not. A, like a, just give me like a, you know, like a. Like a Whatever you can. Well. Like a tip. I'll just say I was okay. I was very warm at night in my sleeping bag. So, oh. yeah, mm. is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We have a couple coming out in that line. So, really, yeah. Uh, side zip or center zip? Side, classic. Yep, vent. Then you can vent. Yanni's been running like the old schoolinest hoodless sleeping bag mm. for warm weather. Yeah. I didn't know they made those anymore. I didn't either. Well, it's a special. Um, it, Nemo makes it. It's uh, I think it's called their Argali Tensor combination, but it's meant to be like a warm weather backcountry hunter's setup where no hood to lighten it up, no bottom insulation to lighten it up. Your sleeping pack slides in there to act as your bottom insulation. So, I mean, the whole rig is, I mean, the bag compresses down to like this. I think it's right at a pound. It's a 15 degree You know, your the pad is a pound. So your whole kit's at two pounds. And it's even got like a waterproof sort of barrier over the bottom two feet. So if your feet are sticking out from underneath your shelter, you know, if you're just running a tent or something, you know, so that it's pretty good. Slight. But yeah, as it gets colder, um, you like you miss that hood. Say you guys did make a sleeping bag. Just say. <laughs> just say. Would you just come out with like a single 15 or would you come out with a, with a zero, a 15? I think, I think if we were going to do it, we'd probably come out with two. 
Yeah, if you yeah, were. Yeah, if, it if, would, if you would were, would it wind up being like a like a negative and a 15? Or would it... it would probably end up being in that 15 and, and then a zero range. Yeah, that's probably a lot of hypotheticals. Those are the only two you need, I feel like. And they'd be conservative at that, uh, you know, at that. And then these would probably be filled with uh, (laughs) parts from a bird or parts from an oil field. Very, very likely from a bird. Parts from a bird. Yeah, woodpecker beaks, water repellent birds. I was going to ask. After uh, twenty-two decades, I think of sleeping in bags. You, you slept know, in bags for 22 decades. <laughs> Sorry, two. Is that what I meant? Like, like from the Old Testament. I, I was trying to say. You're from the Old Testament, <laughs> yeah. people would live to be 600 years old. I was, I was trying to say 20 years, and then somehow, in my, as I was saying it, it turned you into switched. decades. You yeah. switched. Um, but uh, I've had ne- a negative 20, and I've had bags I think as warm as 40 or 45. Mm-hmm. And just like those fr- fringes, y- y- sure. If you got all the money in the world and you just want to have every bag for the specific situation, sure, have them. But for for me and what I do and how I hunt, a 15 and a zero gets it done. I'm a four. I like four. Because I got a way-ass negative, mm-hmm. which is nice at times. I don't use it that much, but I have a way-ass negative Nemo bag down. Then I like to have... But you gotta understand like the peculiarities of my life, man. We're like I get a lot of gear. This isn't like I'm going down to the store and buying all these. No, things. I know. I was trying so, to present it when I was saying from a consumer yeah, from yeah, a normal for like an okay. average Joe. Okay. Then I'm gonna present the average Joe. So scrap the one because you can combo your bags anyways. You can take two bags and combo them. So scrap I would never go buy the mega negative. I would have a zero. A 15, and then this isn't like breaking the bank because when I'm up at my fish shack and stuff and it's super warm, but you got to bring a sleeping bag, I like just a summer weight bag. But they don't charge any money for those anyways. Right. So I don't even think you need that. synthetic summer weight bag. I feel like you can just rock your 15 or 20 degree bag, but open. I yeah. use that in the summer. Yeah. That's okay. That's what you use? Run, it, run it like a blanket. I've done that. Yeah. yeah. Um, so meanwhile, we, while you were out there, did you got the dates? Were you hunting? Were you hunting whitetails at the same time? When was he hunting? I was in, uh, say, the 7th. No, I went in the 10th. Okay, so that's when I 11th. ended my hunt. Yeah. I hunted from the 1st through the 10th. Okay. No snow. I, I was down way down the valley, the <laughs> other side of the state. Yeah, it's funny that, it, that, they, that, that these two things, that Mark Canyon's deal and your deal would be in the same state because you're, like, hunting bighorns at... 11,000 feet. 11,000 feet. And Mark's out in the Badlands. Ish. Badland-ish. Yeah. Yep. That sort of appearance. Yeah. It's hot and low. Chasing whitetails. And what was going on? What was your deal? Well, I was hunting Montana first. And then if I could fill my Montana tag, I was going to go over to North Dakota and try to fill a tag over there. So you just got like little, little spots. Little spots. Public land. How many states do you have little whitetail spots in? Oh, geez. Um, five, six, seven, something like that. I mean, I usually hunt like Michigan, Ohio, and either Indiana or Illinois or Nebraska or Iowa. One of those states, like usually those three states, like every year, some cycle there. And then I've been adding in like a Western state every year. And like then. A new Western one. Mm-hmm. But I've, I've, you know, love Montana. So I've been hitting that the last three years. Do you ever go out and hunt whitetails in Wyoming? No, but I want to. I've I've looked at it. I have I've some ideas of where to go. 
You don't hunt any white. You don't hunt any public land in Michigan, do you? No, I do. You do. Southern Michigan. Southern and northern. Yeah, I've got some southern land stuff that I hit like on days when the conditions aren't great to go into my really good areas that. You know, I'm trying to wait for the right times to hit that stuff, but I still want to hunt. There's a couple pieces of public land that I kind of dive in and try, like, aggressive tactics that I wouldn't normally try. What kind of public land? I'm, you know, what? Administered by who? Yeah, like county stuff. Okay. Um, We used to hunt some public land in Michigan that wasn't even really that public. It was like, (laughs) it was a property owned by a township. Yeah. So nothing you're looking at is ever going to say, like, hey, go here. If you just got to know it. no like if you go to a state website and they're like here's places to hunt it's not going to name yeah it was a township where someone had at one point i don't understand how this worked someone had at one point in time came in and they like surveyed the whole thing we're going to break it up into lots and this is on a lake they're going to break it up into lots i don't know how it happened but it fell back into the township's hands and we hunted waterfowl on it trapped snap turtles on it shot a lot of ducks off it there were deer on it hunted squirrels on it public land but kind of like no one locals treated it publicly but it was not like a destination public land onyx opening up the, open up everyone's eyes that kind of stuff right yeah but it doesn't interpret it for you though mm. you might look and be like that's township we went down and asked the, the township like the township had a commissioner and we went down there and said what is up with this and he kind of said i can't tell you not to go on it i can't tell you to go on it but i can't really tell you not to go on it <laughs> And we took that to be, go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> we took that to be the welcome invite. Yeah, yeah. That's reasonable. So you, uh, you chase them on county land. And some state land up north. We've got my little family deer camp. It's a little 40-acre piece, but it's surrounded by state forest. So I grew up hunting that state forest, just roaming around the swamps, and that was this huge wilderness to me as a kid. But you haven't gotten at Michigan yet this year? No, it hasn't opened up yet. October 1st. Yep. They still run the October 1st opener? They do. That's just a few days away. I'm excited. Been looking at cameras. So you're heading out there now? Yeah. After this, I'm going to get in the truck and drive 24 hours back home. And uh, three days from now or four days from now, get after those whitetails and home. Um, and, and what happened? Uh, how did you – I mean, I know how your Montana deal went down. But explain the whole – like what your situation was. Yeah. Um, so this was a piece of public land, east side of Montana. Um, basically what I look for when I'm finding these spots is, is public land that is either adjacent to or intersects with a river, with a river corridor. So looking for those riparian areas where there's that great cover and food that these whitetails need in these arid areas. And what's kind of cool about Western whitetail hunting versus at home is at home, the whitetail habitat is spread out over everywhere. These deer are all over the place in Montana or Wyoming or Colorado or the Dakotas, it's it's kind of crammed down into these smaller corridors. So you Isn't that kinda, amazing? I noticed that in my house. I mean, there's like a distinct line where it's like below that line, that's where the whitetails live, and above that line is where the mule deers live. When I'm hang sitting out. in my new house, we got whitetails zigzagging across our yard. And last night we uh, with the spot and scope, we glassed up two like impressive mule deer bucks up above our house. Nice. You got anyone whitetail hunting your backyard yet? <laughs> it wouldn't go over it wouldn't go over i about saw our, our car about hunting one this morning yeah. oh man um about our car about tagged out yeah it'll happen um but yeah so over the years i've found a handful of different little spots like this and this is a spot that i'd gone and scouted and shed hunted this spring looked it over real good found a lot of antlers liked the looks of it 
Um, and it kind when of you're out there, are you seeing other tree stands, other trail cams? No, not at all. It was very different than back home. And again, it's, I think it's because it's because people here don't care about whitetails. White it's Mark's untouched whitetail paradise. Yeah, it's like Eastern Montana. <laughs> so. Do you ever feel like weird that oh, pig in mud? Yeah, it's great because no, everyone thinks these are little like rats running around their farms, and I'm. Just the happiest kid in the candy store. Yeah, I've heard them called that. They call them like field rats or mm-hmm. prairie rats or something like that. So I, I've never seen another tree stand. In North Dakota, I saw tree stands. But in the do you Mon- run into dudes who are like, hey, what are you doing? What are you after? I and do. And they express surprise. Yeah. Oh, really? Whitetails? There's elk, <laughs> there's elk, there's elk up there. I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> like, you got it all wrong, sonny. At three years ago, I, I bumped into two guys whitetail hunting the same section I was hunting. They were just walking around it with their bows. Um, and then they saw me in a tree and like, Hey, and they turned they're just out belly crawling on them. Just, yeah. I mean, they weren't to that point yet, but they were upright. You do that. Around. You don't do that much. I haven't, but more people are testing the waters with that. And it's intriguing to me. I've been seeing more folks chase whitetails on the ground and showing that, you know, it's certainly possible with a bow. Yeah. Um, so it's something that I'm, I'm thinking about experimenting a little bit more with. Been trying a lot of new things. This, I'm going to be doing a bunch of new things this year as far as that kind of stuff, using some different um, gear to get in the tree. We can talk about that later. But instead of tree stands, I've been shifting to a tree saddle, yeah, um, which has been something really interesting um, that helps a lot with the public land kind of stuff I do. Um, so, yeah. So you came out and shed hunted this spot. Yeah. As a scout measure. Yep. Walked it, found antlers, you know, confirmed what I thought from maps and from previous times kind of walking around in the area. And um, what I really like to find is, like I said, this public land that's intersects with that riparian area. But if it's particularly hard to get to in one way or another, that's, of course, something that is a, is a benefit to any public land hunter, right? You guys talk about that with elk and mule deer. Same thing with whitetails. It's just that the bar for being hard to get to is much lower for a whitetail hunter. So a mile, mile and a half walk is like most whitetail guys just won't do that. Not saying that they won't, but just typically it doesn't happen. Yeah, and it winds up being like, because in, in that type of hunting too, you have a lot of guys that are going out after work, going out in the morning. You just kind of want to get up and, right? Yes, yeah, it's, it's not, not like, like a all like expedition style hunting. And it could man. be counterproductive because it's like... They don't yeah, care. Yeah, the whitetails aren't necessarily living five miles away from right. the high plant site. Yeah. Park your car. So, so the two spots that I in particular was interested in getting after on this trip, one of them... You had a piece of public land that was from the road to a river, and then that piece of public land that was not very productive. It was grazed over, no cover, um, didn't seem that the deer used it much except for Grazed maybe, over by cattle. Yeah, and sheep. Um, I didn't think that the deer were using not it except horns. for... Not bighorns. These are like the ba sheep. Um, <laughs> true field rats. <laughs> yes, the true field rats. And uh, they weren't using this area in daylight, maybe crossing it at night, but it wasn't going to be a spot I'd want to hunt. But there was a piece of landlocked public land back behind some private land that you could get to if you walked that river. So we talked about this the other yep. day, but the basic gist of this situation was I I assumed that with the stream access laws in Montana, you could walk that river to get in that private land, or sorry, to get past the private land and hunt the public land. After talking to some people, hearing some different ideas on this, it sounds like there were some gray areas around that, whether or not I can legally use the public waterway to get to the public land. So I had gotten permission from this private landowner whose land was around the public in the spring to shed hunt it and scout it and everything. Coming into the hunting season, I called him again a week ahead of time just to confirm, hey, is it still okay that I walk the river 
to get to this public land that's tucked behind yours. He expressed, you know, that no, not now, not now. And you're not saying I want to hunt your place. You're saying to him, I'm not hunting your place. I'm passing through. Exactly. And not, and I'm not even going to be on your ground. I'm literally going to walk the, the, I'm going to walk in the river. I'm going to wade the river below the, below the banks. No deer are going to hear me, see me, smell me. I'm not going to mess up anyone else's hunting. I'm just going to walk the river, step up into the public land. Any beaver sign in that river? Um, you know, not much, surprisingly. Any mink tracks? Nope. Um, didn't see anything like that. You ever kill white-tailed deer, Kurt? I, yeah. Yeah, I have. Yeah, yeah. when I uh, living over in the western part of the state, you know, oh, you where did? I grew up. Yeah. Well, have you done that out there? On the western side of the state? Yeah. Dude, that's no, like but I want to. Central, man. We go up by my sister-in-law's place. It's like nasty thick. But people in rattle in, people rattle in big giants over there. Well, my trip next that's year. That's what you need to go do. I want to next year do a backpacking whitetail hunt in like northern Mon- northwestern Montana or northern Idaho. Backpack into some of that stuff Dude, and I chase whitetail. So happily going, I know some. Let's do I it. I got some hot tips, hot <laughs> leads. I think that would be really cool. Okay, so go on. No beaver sign. Yeah, no beaver Kirk sign. Kirk got a whitetail. Kirk got a whitetail. <laughs> I got permission in the spring, but in the fall when I called back, it was like, eh, probably not. I've got family that's going to be hunting his property. So that kind of threw me for a tailspin. Hunt whitetails. Hunt whitetails, yes. They have a like a grandson or son-in-law or something like that who does like to hunt whitetails. Um, and what's, Is he a Wired to Hunt fan? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't go that far. Um but what's cool, what, what's, what makes this piece of public great? I already mentioned the first thing, the riparian area. Number two, it's hard to get to because to get to it, you have to do this long hike down the first piece. Then you have to take half mile down this river. The third thing that's great about it is that on the private land is food, the best food source all around, these big alfalfa fields. So you've got like irrigated alfalfa. Irrigated alfalfa fields. So tons of deer coming in to feed on that private land and this public land is really nicely tucked right behind that basically and they're bedding up in what they're bedding in uh like russian olive bushes and some intermittent cottonwood groves you know i have you seen this down there because i've seen this in, in that part of the state where they're actually going up into the canyons hey here's a simple but very meaningful gift idea for your mom or grandparent who lives across the country These are great, dude. These are really nice things to give to people. It's a digital picture frame from Aura. It's perfect for sharing pics of all the things they can't be there for, from family vacations to their grandkids' graduation. Let's say your mom comes out. You take a bunch of pictures of your mom with your kids or whatever. When she goes home, you can greet her at home with all those pictures you just took on the frame. You can also keep her up to date by updating the frame from afar. It's all done online. It's a ton of fun comes with unlimited storage and simple controls on the frame so you can upload as many photos as you want and mom can pick the perfect one see why it was named the number one digital frame by Wirecutter, the strategist and wired right now you can save on the perfect gift that keeps on giving by visiting auraframes.com that's a-u-r-a frames.com make sure you use the promo code meat eater because for a limited time you can get $20 off their best-selling frame with that code. The code being Meat Eater. AuraFrames.com, promo code Meat Eater. On average, it takes about 30 days for a person to break their New Year's resolution. So if saving money was on your 2024 list, odds are you're already done trying. Well, luckily, I have a 100% guaranteed way to save you money this year. 
just switch it over to Mint Mobile. Right now, Mint Mobile has wireless plans starting at $15 a month. That's unlimited talk, text, and data for $15 a month. Choose from three, six, or 12-month plans and say goodbye to a monthly phone bill. Mint Mobile gives you the best rate whether you're buying for one or a family. And at Mint, families start at two lines. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and keep your same phone number along with all your existing contacts. To get your new wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month and get the plan shipped to your door for free, go to mintmobile.com slash meat eater. That's mintmobile.com slash meat eater. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash meat eater. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Meal prepping and thinking about what's for dinner all the time can be a real stressor. Well, using ButcherBox helps relieve that stress. With ButcherBox, you're always prepared with good quality meat in the freezer. It's the ultimate convenience with custom curated boxes shipped right to your door with free shipping, which means fewer trips to the grocery store. It's hard to find the same value at the store because what store can you go to where you're going to get free protein for a whole year alongside your order? Plus, they have a variety of high-quality cuts at an amazing value with exclusive member deals, and they make it even easier on you with recipe inspiration, guides, tips, and hacks. With ButcherBox, you don't have to worry about what's for dinner. ButcherBox is offering our listeners their choice of weeknight meal essentials. Three pounds of chicken thighs, two pounds of ground beef, or one pound of premium steak tips for free in every order for a whole year. Plus, you get $20 off your first order. Sign up today at ButcherBox.com slash eater and use code MeatEater to choose your free offer and get $20 off. Quite a ways yeah. to bed. See, I didn't see that in this area, but I was pretty far from the canyon walls. Like the area I was hunting, it was it was wide you know, like, enough at that point. You know those areas where the sandstone bluffs yeah. come down and yep. actually form like yep, like classic like rock wall. Yeah, because we've been in hunting mule deer and have sat at night and watched whitetails come out of the juniper hmm. and ponderosa. And there's these little like canyons that have got the bottoms got green ash in yep. them, and come out at night and just do these long treks down into hit that riparian stuff and then come up through the sagebrush and shit and filter up into these little canyons to go to bed at night. They're incredibly adaptable animals. It is amazing the different types of areas they can make work. Um, in this area, it, there was so much concentrated cover right there along the river that they were just packed in there. Um, so this public was kind of really nicely settled right behind the food, kind of in the midst of the bedding, but a bit of a transition from the best bedding to the food. So... Long story short on all this is that I ended up being worried that I wasn't going to have any more permission, so I was looking at the maps, trying to find a few other spots. But when I showed up, went and talked to the landowner, had a really nice conversation with him and his wife, and um, they said, you know what, it's okay. Our family isn't going to be now here for another week or two. Were you greasing some palms? Uh, no, I was just, no no greasing palms, just having a nice, friendly chat. And, uh, just a nice boy, nice, wholesome boy. Nice, wholesome boy Show pictures of your baby? Uh, yeah, I did. <laughs> oh, come on, man. Really? You got manipulative? No, it just came up in conversation. I'm not going to hold that back. <laughs> he really just wants his daddy to little, come back with a deer. Yeah, he's just home starving. Doctor says you can't eat anything but deer meat. <laughs> I don't know how I did it, but some way or another, I did get permission. Um 
And yeah, and, and I was really excited about that because I had all those things going for it. And then you didn't have to be looking over your shoulder like we're talking yeah, about. Yeah, you don't want to do that. I didn't want to do anything. No, gray means, I, when I was a younger man, gray meant go. Now gray means, man, I don't know. Yeah, it's not. I, don't, I just hate that feeling. Not worth it. I hate the feeling. Yeah, I 100% agree. So it was great to get that green light. Feel really good about that. So I was just camped off the road in my truck, sleeping in the back of my truck, camping there, and then every day would go and hunt these deer. And the fourth thing that was so good about this area was that that river allowed you almost perfect access and exit without notifying deer that there was a human hunter in there at all. Because yeah. I could get into that river. I was like four feet below the, the banks. banks. Mm-hmm. So I would walk that riverbed leaving no scent because I'm in the water almost the whole time. Yep. Below the banks. couldn't even find you. Yeah, I don't want that. <laughs> and um, and then basically I'm able to hop right up on shore, get up in a tree. So you're wearing having, chest waders? Uh, hip waders. I bought, I bought, I was stupid. I bought like $15 packable waders Did that you i buy wiggies uh no they're hot went wrong or man yeah i guess so gotta buy these, wiggies glacier socks i don't know for that long of a hike i don't know if they would have yeah but you put them in your pocket you know what those are oh yeah i got them you got yeah. the ones without the feet the one for the plastic boots but i've also seen oh because then it, yeah. yeah that yeah. probably lets them last a long time yeah yeah they last for a long time what we're talking about is um have we talked have we covered this before we must have talked about it in our dull sheep hunt recap, like, but yeah, explain them. It's uh, it's basically just, it looks like an oversized uh sock that comes all the way up to your crotch, um, almost, and it's just got at the top end of it, it's got a little clip that goes around your belt, and the bottom has a, just a very thin, rudimentary sort of sole, but they're big and baggy enough that you can just slip them right over your boots. So every time you get to a stream crossing, you just pull them out of your pack. We were crossing the stream so much, we were we were just hang them off our uh, shoulder strap. We'd get there, throw them on, take five or ten steps to get across the stream, and then you know take them off and put them back on. Yeah, and they roll up like way smaller than a Nerf football. Yeah, they're what, probably a pound, pound and a half. What's the 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 fabric or what what what's it made of? It's a seventy D nylon. I think some of there them. There you go. Good some work, of Kurt. them. Also, <laughs> yeah, it's it. Got the product there, guy. Yeah, no, there's a couple of. Uh, sometimes I use a two two ten nylon. Some of them are a seventy D. Depends on which ones you get. And then um, I believe they use it's a it's a full urethane coating is what they create the. So it's reasonably strong. Yeah. Stuff. Yes. Yeah. You wouldn't want to bushwhack through a bunch of beaver chewed sticks with them. That's for sure. No, the guy that we bought them from said if if you just leave them on. And just start and hike up the you know stream bed, crossing the stream, and then hike on dry rocks for a while. You're gonna put holes in them quick. So I got something kind of like that, but it must be the the much less quality version of that. It was fifteen dollars on Amazon. Basically, it was like an oversight garbage bag that I slid up both my legs. I've done that too, contractor bags. Was, well, yeah, kind of essentially that's what it was. You can get a lot of miles out of crossing creeks on contractor bags. Probably more than I got out of these. It was, it, was, it, was, <laughs> it, was that, it was that deep, though, huh? You needed it up to your hips. Yeah, there were spots were up to your hips, and I ripped it the very first crossing. I ripped a big old hole in it, so then the rest of that night, I had to just wade through it and filling it with water. I was like, well, okay. So I got soaked that first night. Had to drive an hour and a half to the nearest town the next day. Bought hip waders. Oh, then you bought hip waders. Yeah, good hip waders, like those irrigator ones, you know? Yeah, I'm with you. Um, okay, so you climb about a creek, no, no smell, Yep. All nice and dry. All nice and dry. No beaver sign. Mm-hmm. And uh, slip up into your 
spot. Are you carrying a tree stand around on your back? Yeah. So that's usually I've got a tree stand and climbing sticks that I bring with me, which are basically like a, a big metal stick that's got three steps on it. You strap that to the tree, climb up, strap another one to the tree, climb up. But this year, like I said, instead of the tree stand, I've got this saddle, which is kind of like a rock climber's harness or like a arborist harness. Yeah. Um, and then so I attach these sticks to the tree so I can climb up to 15, 20 feet or whatever. And then I attach a rope with a Prusik knot on the end of it that basically allows me to adjust the height of this clip. Suicide Prusik or double Prusik? I don't know. It's pretty Two wraps on top and two wraps on bottom? I don't know. <laughs> Pre-tied, I didn't pay too much oh, attention pre-tied. to it. Oh, pre-tied, I got you. Yeah, it was all so part of it. We had a big it. conversation about this the other day. When I used to do arborist work, like when you tie a Prusik, if you look at it, it's got like four wraps, two wraps above and two wraps below. Tree cl- When I used to do like tree climbing work, you would just do two below and one above, and you could control it with your thumb. Like the slightest amount of thumb pressure would open the knot, and you like fast. Like you're supposed to do two wraps, then you gotta like forcibly pull the rope through the knot. But the guy I worked for would call it a suicide knot. He didn't like it, but it was just really nice because just like a little flick of your thumb, that knot would open up and you're zing, you know. This would have been definitely been two on top, two on bottom. <laughs> <laughs> I'm only bringing this up because we were just discussing this. Because the same knot is great for tightening tent yeah. guy lines. Yeah, I can see that. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. 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 So. Basically, you've got you just clip into this thing, and then you are your knees are up against the tree, and then you're just kind of hanging, sitting. God, you're, back. Not, you're not just like legs falling asleep and stuff up there. No, you've got a you've got a platform that your feet can set on. So there's a couple different options people do. Some people just keep their they have their climbing stick pegs there at the at the foot level, or they'll put in a handful of other steps around the tree, or you can attach a small platform. So what I was using is you're. you're basically a tree stand a cast aluminum i think tree stand type platform but a tiny miniature version of that so instead of like a 30 inch long tree stand platform this is like eight inches by 10 inches this little tiny thing that you can attach to the tree that just gives you something to keep your feet and it gives you like a pivot point to allow you then to pivot in different directions around the tree so i could shoot almost 360 degrees anywhere around this tree spinning around leaning left leaning right um all the to, time you had to practice a lot out of this thing huh i did practice a little bit yeah but it was it was much more intuitive and comfortable than i had even expected and so instead of going in there with you know let's say a 10 or 12 pound pack of sticks and then a 12 pound or 13 pound tree stand plus my camera gear plus my backpack plus my bow rangefinder, all that other stuff instead of that i'm able to cut like 13 pounds right off the gate without carrying that tree stand in um, so it's much lighter weight hiking in much less work getting set up in the tree and, um, comfortable. And, and so that first night was the first time I'd ever hunted in it was that first night of the season in Montana and, uh, snuck in there, got up into a tree and it was in this spot where I thought based off what I'd seen in the past, you know, walking around, seeing this area, these deer were going to transition from that Russian olive type brush where they were bedded through this small little open cottonwoody grove towards the private land where that food was behind me and uh that's what happened basically i was you know while i was getting set up in the tree i had two small year and a half old bucks come by and then over the course of the night just deer after deer after deer flooding out of there mm-hmm. squirrels like that russian olive yeah like well, to eat it i believe it 
Every, yeah, did you see fox squirrels in there? Yeah, I, mean, I saw a little bit. Of, I'm sure fox I saw. Squirrels. I'm sure I saw squirrels. I don't know if I paid enough attention to say what they were, but well, if you're you gonna saw, have to correct that, I'm not future. a squirrel guy. No, like, yeah, like, <laughs> I'm not a skunk guy. But if I see a skunk, I'm like, I register it. <laughs> there were so many whitetails in there. <laughs> that's all I could focus you on. Weren't registering squirrels. No. You know, it's a non-native plant. It's a real deleterious plant. I have heard about that. It was brought in like the Depression era, wasn't it? It's fast growing. Mm-hmm. You can make windrows out exactly. of it. Hurry. I think that was what. But uh, it's you know it's displacing native trees. Yeah, and it's just yeah, it's like a it's all over the place out there on yeah. the riparian corridor. Squirrels like it, but the deer love it too. Um, and I saw a lot of deer, and eventually, uh, at one almost in the same couple minutes, a mature buck group of five bucks came by on one side of me, including one mature buck that I would have would have tried to take, and then behind me another mature buck, both of them about eighty yards on either side of me. And no um, one out there hunting. Nobody else out there hunting. Um, it's my little playground, which is and cool. they look all summery. Mm, yeah, because I mean, most of them were still in velvet, still have their summer coat, kind of orangey coat. Um, beautiful. I mean, it's neat to be out there in the woods at that point when you're seeing deer. Makes like their that. antlers look big. Makes their antlers look really big. Because their necks, mass. their necks are thin. They don't have any puffy hair. Out. Yeah, they look strange. Their faces look kind of emaciated. Yeah, and I know they're fat and happy. And that, that time of year is so so fun because these deer are on such a consistent pattern. You know, they're they're going to bed and go to feed. They're going to bed. They're going to go to feed. That's basically all they do. Because they're not playing grab ass. They're not playing grab ass. They are very comfortable because they haven't been hunted yet. It's the very beginning of the season. So you can really see these deer acting very naturally, going about their everyday life. And that's just fun from a deer enthusiast. Like, I just love watching these critters, getting to be in that kind of situation and seeing deer do deer things. You know, rather than back home in Michigan, and by the time you get to late October, these are deer that feel like they're in the middle of a war zone um, that are hardly moving in daylight at all. And you're not going to see mature bucks hardly at all or anything like that. They're all nocturnal. Out here, I'm seeing four- and five- and six-year-old bucks happily hanging out, playing with each other, sparring, doing different things. That's just neat. Um, So I was enjoying it from that perspective. You're painting a compelling picture. It's not that great. You should not come out and hunt Montana for whitetails. <laughs> All that said, it sucks. <laughs> um, but yeah, the basic gist of that first night was that I saw um, a couple nice bucks that I would have gotten a shot at if, if I could have been close enough, but they were out of range. Um, so I snuck out that night after everything had passed through and uh, had a game plan for the next day. And the issue, though, was that the next day I had a wind direction that would have been blowing into that bedding area mm-hmm. and i knew like this spot's so good if i go i want to go back in there right away right i've seen all these bucks i knew if i moved my my not my stand but i moved where i was hunting like 60 yards farther north to where most of those deer came by i thought i'd be able to get a shot i was pretty confident that you deer still would. have the wind be good mm-hmm. well if the wind was good i oh, could move 60 yards gotcha. up there but wind wasn't good that takes restraint man it takes restraint to bag it because the wind's bad yeah and it was yeah it was tough like i I so badly wanted to go back in there i'd seen so many deer i was like this is such a honey hole but i just knew if you wait till the conditions are right you will kill a deer there if you go back in there tomorrow and just hope to get lucky you're gonna you're gonna mess it up so i said nope i'm not gonna go to that honey hole there was one other piece of public i'd seen on the maps that looked pretty good and i hadn't been to ever before i thought well i'm gonna give this other spot a rest wait till the wind's right i'm gonna go check out this new spot and this new spot kind of had all the same things going for it that night number one spot did. Um, it was along the riparian corridor. It was hard to get to, and it was tucked behind private land that had food on it. 
But what made this one hard to get to versus the first was that rather than walking a river, I had to walk more than a mile up on top of this big bluff and then go down one of those steep, nasty canyons like you were talking about, like basically sliding down this canyon. I had to bring tent poles because I didn't have trekking sticks or anything. So I had poles like a, like a tarp pole. Yeah. So it was not ideal, but it was all I had. And I was like, well, I need something to give me some kind of support as I'm sliding down this. So got down in this canyon. But not canyon. so bad that you needed to rappel in. Not so bad that I repel in. That would have been sweet. That would have been, that's next year. <laughs> um, but got down in this canyon, got in this little piece of public land again, and same kind of deal. There were deer bedded back in this public, Russian olive, cottonwood brush. They would transition through this little piece of public out towards that private land with the alfalfa. Um, but again, wasn't right close enough. So I did see another mature buck that I would have shot at if I could have, but he was about 120 yards away. Bunch of does, some little bucks. Um, not quite as much action as the first night, but again, I was, I felt good. Like I've got a nice second, spot. I've got a like second a big, spot. huge giant buck. Uh, not a big, huge giant. Bigger like than a, the one you got. Mm, I'd say con- similar ish okay. in that, like definitely, you know, three, four, five year old, somewhere in that he was probably four or five years old. And, um, he was a 10 pointer kind of tight and tall, like one thirties, Somewhere around there, maybe 140 if, we're, if we care about score so at like, all. So you're like, wow, that's a nice buck. There's a buck. Yeah, I mean, it was a buck. I was like, ooh, I, yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's cool to see that. Too far away. So then I waited till they all went through, waited till after dark, till everything had transitioned off to those private fields, snuck out of there again. Now I know I've got two different spots I can work with. So depending on wind direction, whatever other conditions might change, I can adjust now. You hunting by yourself? Yep. Yep. Just car camping by yourself. Just car camping, sleep in the bed of the truck, make a little hot dog on the grill at night, drink a beer, and pass out. Don't you wish you had a story like this, Kurt? That sounds nice. And there's just one ram, it's coming, and there's all these rams. I just have a beer. Buy me and hot dogs. Hot dogs. Some more rams. And yeah. It's a different, Much kind of different. situation. <laughs> Couldn't decide which ram I wanted to go after. Yep. Yep. Um, we could go on for a while with the juxtapositions here. <laughs> oh, yeah. Same state. Yeah. Very, very different experiences. So then what happened? So next day, the wind was right for the first area. So now I'm going back to the honey hole. Honey hole number one. Mm-hmm. Going back to honey hole number one, and I now have learned something since the first night. I know that the majority of these deer weren't traveling through the middle of this kind of transition. The majority of them were working this edge along the northern spot. So I snuck back in there this time with the better waders because I had to go to town and get the good waders and knowing that I want to go set up in a new tree. Snuck in there, got in there pretty early. Hanging your tree in a cotton, in a, hanging your sling in a cottonwood? Yep, cottonwood. And um, got set up, same kind of deal as the first night. It's very These deer were moving pretty early in the day. They were very comfortable. Dude, yeah, the video the video you have of, of you shooting the bucky shot, Looks like looks like a hundred degrees out, middle of the damn day. Yeah, so I'm not going to talk. That's day four. We're still on day three, but um, I'm just jumping, <laughs> jumping ahead. But yeah, each day was warm. I'm just it was, saying, it looks like it looks like daytime. Yep, all this activity was happening daytime, pretty warm, and again, it comes down to these were comfortable, not very hunted deer. Yeah, and I was I was kind of secretly able to get pretty far back in like their movement pattern, right? So these deer were moving past me relatively early in the day because they still had another couple hundred yards to get to the wide open field where they're going to feed um so most of my it was getting dark like 8 30 or something like that maybe or 8 50 at night it was getting dark and 
these deer were coming. The majority of the action I was seeing was between like 545 and 645. So several hours before dark, they were passing by me and then making their way out to these fields. So that night, got in there. Here come the deer. Started seeing some young bucks, some does. But I was a little worried because the first group of deer I was seeing, they actually cut in. They were heading right towards me, but then about 60 yards before they got to where I was going to be, they cut into this Russian olive stuff and kind of skirted inside away from me, just out of range in this thick stuff. And I'm thinking Snubbing. in my head, in my head, I'm like, gosh, is that what those deer did the night before? And my memory was just wrong. Did I set up 30 yards away from like the perfect spot? And I'm going to have another night here frustrated seeing all these deer go just out of range. So for the last first like half hour, sitting there kicking myself and thinking, should I just pull everything down and move 30 yards? Um, but there's already deer moving all over the place. Decided to stick it out and glad I did because around 6.15 or something along those lines, I'm looking over my left shoulder trying to see if there's anything behind me. And when I turn back, there's a big giant buck at 15 yards right in front of me in my main shooting lane right there. Um, came did you on, fall asleep? No. No, I was looking this way and then turn around. He's there. Looking at you? No. Just kind of waltzing through. And this is like full velvet, big like a tall tine kind of curling in great big giant 10 pointer um beautiful deer and it was a situation instantly knew oh yeah that's that's a buck i'd like to get a shot at um the issue was that you know he what he must have done is he must have come out of that russian olive and there was one big bush in front of me at about 20 yards and if that deer came from the left or right of that tree, of that bush, I would have seen him. But if he came in on that direct line yeah. where the bushes in between, would never know till he was right there. That must be what happened. So I see him there. Two other nice bucks come behind him. So it's a bachelor group of these three bucks. He's right there. Like he'd be the ideal shot. Like when I had planned this all out, when I sat in that tree, I was like, this is where I want to get a shot at. Well, that's where he was right now. But he was there before I was holding my bow, before anything. So I see him register okay that's that's a buck i want to get shot at and at the same time i try to grab my bow spin into position and turn my camera on and swing the camera around to get film of him <laughs> and, wired on yeah wired on. <laughs> 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 and of course that was i was not able to do that fast enough before he got behind some branches and i couldn't get a shot i was like trying to weasel my way can i spin around a little more and like slip it through some of these branches but I knew that I, I wasn't going to risk some kind of wonky shot. He didn't spook. He walked right in and was just kind of like, I think if I remember right, he started coming like straight at me. These other two bucks with him did come directly to my tree stand or my tree, my steps, and were like sniffing around underneath there. Um, and eventually one of them caught wind of something that they didn't quite like, and one of them bolted. They didn't blow. They didn't really freak out, but the one bolted, and that caused the other two to kind of bounce off, and they stopped kind of looked around. And then just walked away. But no shot opportunity. And that was frustrating. You know, had a great public land buck there in range. Nice close encounter. Couldn't make it happen. Um, but that's how it goes. And then the salt in the wound at the end of the night was that the mature buck that I had seen walk by this spot the first night, the reason why I had moved to this new area, he goes walking by where I sat the first night at the end of the evening. So, again, I'd seen two different nice shooter bucks. Um, that was day three. Any questions on day three? No. All right. Day four. I appreciate you guys hearing out my whole uh, long whitetail story. It's not nearly as adventurous as Kurt's uh, big mountain trip, but... 
No, it's action-packed. Yeah, it's action-packed. it is. There's more exciting. <laughs> we're gonna more po- to talk we're about gonna, here. In the show notes, we're going to post all these GPS waypoints. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so day four, a cold front hits. So it's going from like 80 and 90 degrees. I think that day, like day three was like 90s. And now cold front was hitting overnight. It was going to drop 20 to 30 degrees. So the next day, day four, is going to be a high of, I think, in the 60s. So I knew this front's passing. This is going to get the deer moving even earlier, I believed. This, there's, it's been great action already, but this should ramp up even more. Cold fronts are one of those things that more consistently than any other factor will get whitetail on their feet and moving. So, Do you think it's because they get cold? I don't think it's because they get cold. I think it's um, probably because there's some kind of biological drive. Like you got to start packing on the food. Yeah, just Maybe. triggers something like triggers that. Triggers feeding. Mm-hmm. Um, so whatever it might be, I figured they'd be moving earlier. So I had been, like I mentioned, seeing mostly activity like 545 to 645, somewhere around there. So I'd been getting into the tree at like 5. On this day, I was like, I should get in there at least an hour and a half earlier than that, just in case. So that's like six hours before dark. Kind of ridiculous for early season whitetail hunting. You never see that kind of activity early in the day. But it's been great. I better make sure I'm covering my butt. So sneak in there, get to that tree at 3.30 in the afternoon. I'm up in the tree at 3.35, settled, my camera's set, my bow's set, I'm comfortable. I grab a bottle of water because it's you know, still a good hike in there. It was like a mile and a half hike. Hotter nuts in there. Yeah. yeah. Still no squirrels, though. I can't. I can't say one way or another confidently. I just don't, like, I would think. See, Durkin talked. At least you know what kind of tree you were sitting in. Pat Durkin talked about whitetail guys get so focused on one thing whitetails that they be that they that they have blinders to the rest of the world do you feel that you're guilty of that i'm guilty of that to a degree i'm aware of the things that are of that are relevant to the hunt like i'm so i'm aware of the types of trees that deer like to feed on i'm aware of the types of trees that they're more likely to rub on i'm aware of the types of plant life that i'm focused on because i know that deer will be feeding on this if you saw a raccoon would you register it i'd probably register yeah I'll register most animals. But squirrels, I feel like, are just a kind of... Kind of what? I don't know. They're beneath my radar, I guess. Not just, not in like a not like beneath me, but I just like... There's so many of them, usually. I can't trigger it. Well, but you're in, a, you're in the transition zone. You're in the transition zone where there's not. In this place I'm hunting in Montana. You're just in the area where they start to... Where, where they... You know, they're, they're in the major riparian corridors nosing westward okay it's like an incomplete map i guess that's true it's just good to know when i get back i will you register cottontails yeah, yeah I, I see a cottontail. jump a cottontail to click in your yeah, mind i'd be like oh there's a rabbit okay yeah turkeys you register I, that oh for sure i register you turkey. register that yeah uh he'd probably just come back and say i saw six mammals over three pounds <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> under 20 yeah but when you're seeing when you're seeing like 60 mammals over three pounds or over 100 pounds the little two pounders just kind of hard to keep track of okay well i'm just just requesting for next time that when doing this sort of thing you don't need to tell me if you saw them in michigan because they're they're omnipresent but i'm just requesting that in in these just keep a mental note duly noted i will put that in the to-do list next time around so there you are iron nuts three grab a sip of water 335 in the afternoon grab a sip of water 
assuming that I'm going to have some time here to kind of just, just relax. Luxuriate. Yeah. And while I'm in the, and I lost my main Nalgene water bottle on one of these hikes back and forth. So the only water bottle I had was one of those great big steel Yeti Ramblers. Yeah. And so I'm in my head, I'm like, this is stupid to be bringing this out in the woods just because it's big and flashy. So in my head, I was like, well, I'll have a couple of sips right now. I'm not going to pull it out when there's going to be deer moving around or anything. Um, but take this big swig and mid swig, I catch moving out of the left of my eye at 337. Here's this big giant buck walking right towards me. Just out messing around. Doing something. And it looked in my head that the first thing I thought, I saw the frame of those antlers said, that's that same buck from yesterday. He does not have velvet anymore. So he peeled his velvet, rubbed it all off. Overnight. In, in the moment, that's what I was thinking. In retrospect, probably wouldn't have happened that fast. But in my head, I'm like, that must, this must be that same deer. It had the same kind of tall tines curving in, um, tall brow tines. And so I'm, I'm not going to let that same thing that happened yesterday happen where I wasn't quick enough to get ready. So he's coming in. I throw the water bottle in my backpack, grab my bow, turn the camera on, spin around, get into the position. <laughs> all the while, he's slowly kind of walking in. And he walks into 15 yards. Um, I mean, I couldn't have asked for a better situation and got a shot at him at like, yeah, 15. And he goes running off, and I got an air on a public land buck just like that, 3.37 in the afternoon. The Crazy. video is funny because you can, you can, like, the camera thing is funny. Yeah, it zoomed way out. And the self-filming, self-filming a whitetail hunt, like, that's kind of tricky. Oh, it's a whole um, other deal, man. Yeah. But I got him on foot. I got him on film. Yeah. It's not like beautiful footage or anything, but. Serves the, the purpose. I, lo- I thought it was great. Yeah. I thought it was a good video. But he looks pretty far away. I was like, damn, it. that was a nice shot, Mark. Definitely wasn't that far. <laughs> <laughs> what do I need to do? Just go to uh, com. Yeah, well, I'd go to the YouTube channel maybe. Go check that out. Um, it's on the com too. Um, and there's a series. I did a video every day of that hunt. So each day I, I showcased what I was doing throughout that day. So there's one, two, three, and then day four and five I put in one video at the end because double feature double feature because i shot this buck um and the shot looked pretty good like in my mind's eye looked pretty good i looked at the footage because it's so zoomed out you couldn't really tell but it looked like it was probably the back of lungs is where i thought the shot was that's that's one nice thing about having film stuff Mm -hmm. it doesn't make it worth it in and of itself but it's a nice thing of having film stuff to analyze yeah huge so Based off that, I thought to myself, well, I'm going to give just, just give him a 45 minutes, an hour just to be safe, and then I'll go down there and look around, check for blood, do some of that. And so that all happened, and then I got to thinking, well, I'm a mile and a half away from the truck. I don't have, like, my buck burrito. I have this, like, sled that I yeah, can use. Yeah, what the hell is that thing? <laughs> Why not just cut them up and carry them out? I should have done that, but as a Michigan guy, like, we just don't. I wouldn't. I didn't know. And I. In retrospect, of course, you can do that because you can do that with elk or mule deer or whatever. But in some states back east, you're not supposed to do that. Um, so in just my head, it was like, ah, I'm just going to drag it out like you always do. I saw that little thing you had, a little deer dragger. Yep. So it's just basically like a, kind of like a plastic. That sold for that purpose? Yeah. It was like 15 bucks. I was going to buy just a sled. And then when I looked for a sled on Amazon, that popped up specifically called like deer dragger and sled or something. I was like, oh, yeah, that'll you work. get one of those otter sleds. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so I decided to hike back to the truck, get that, unload all my gear that I don't need, change into some lighter weight clothes, come back in. Did all that, got back in that night, started trying to look for blood. The The condensed version of this is that I could not find blood that night. Um, 
started kind of body searching into that thick stuff where I thought he must be because I still, I last saw him go into this Russian olive. I couldn't believe that he could go too much further, but nothing. So after dark, finally got to the point where it just seemed to be fruitless to keep on walking in there. I can't see more than 10 yards in front of me. Were you sweating it? Mm, I was really stressed. Yeah. I was pretty upset. Um, cause it just looked like such a slam dunk that I thought for sure that buck would be tipping over just inside the brush and he'd be right there. Cause he ran, I watched him run for a couple hundred yards through this open transition. So I, I, I would have been, I was shocked to see that he wasn't down so soon. Um, came back in the next morning, first thing, first light and still couldn't find blood, um, at the shot site, just a tiny little bit. And then after that, no blood trail. I went to the last spot I saw him again, and I'd watched the video, and I was okay. I'm pretty sure he went in front of this tree, but behind this bush. So I went to that area, and then just started walking back and forth, just staring at the ground, trying to see anything. And I did end up finding blood. Now, I have a little bit of a unique situation in that I've got a little bit of red-green color blindness. So red doesn't pop as much to me as like my buddies. So I'll be like blood trailing with a friend. They're like, oh yeah, blood, 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 blood. And I'm like, oh yeah. Oh yeah, like I have to like get down, like really like look at it. So now for me, you need it to look like the Manson murders before you, yeah, for it to be a really easy blood yeah. track. So I found now I look more for like the shape of like a blood splatter or the glimmer of like that little like uh, fluid glare. Yeah, and the sheen. Yeah, the sheen, and then I spot that kind of stuff, and then I can see. Oh yeah, that's red blood. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm just, it's a little bit more difficult for me, a little bit slower process. So. Maybe someone else would have spotted all this blood faster than I did. But I eventually got it and was able to follow a small blood trail of about 80 to 100 yards. And that kind of pointed me into the brush the right way. So now I had a better idea of what his trajectory was. It dried up again, though. Spent the next several hours then circling out from there, trying to find more blood or find him. And it was just that, like you said, that thick, nasty Russian olive stuff crawling around on all fours for most of the time to get underneath it because like just deer tunnels through there. Um, and after four or five, six hours that morning doing that, I stumbled on him. Lo and behold. Lo and behold, there he was. Now, did it look like he had tipped over or like curled up? He was tipped over. He wasn't curled up. Um, but but I don't know if it was a situation where he was, he maybe he had been there for a while. I'm not sure. I don't know how long it took. Um, but he definitely wasn't like curled up bedded. He was laying there like he just fell. Was it a cool night? It was a cool night, but he wasn't all like super stiff and rigor mortis like you see in many so cases. So the meat was still good? The meat was still good. Uh-huh. I was worried about that. Have you tasted it yet? No. Um, it was a situation where it was really hot that day when I found him, and I was worried about that. So I found him. By that time, it was already, I don't know, 1130 or noon or something in, in I don't know, 70s or 80s. And then, you know, it took a very long time to get him out of there, drag him through the river, get him up those steep river banks. I had to develop like a pulley system with ropes to get him up and over the bank. Um, you, need to, you need to develop a system with a knife and a backpack. Right. Yeah. Lesson learned. <laughs> <laughs> we can help you out with that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> In retrospect, I made things much harder for myself. Because you're not going to drive home with them whole anyway. No. Uh-uh. Well, the thing is, you can't, yeah, you can't drive home with them. You can't cross state lines or anything with, with CWD and all that, too. Yeah. Um, Hmm. But got him out of there, got him cleaned up, and what did the uh, necropsy reveal of your uh, shot placement? It was back of lungs. It, it ended up being a slightly quartering two shot. So mm. in retrospect, I hadn't realized that he was a little bit quartering to me. So that shot nicked the back of the lungs, liver, and then the front of the stomach. Just a little nick off the front of the stomach, and then that exit wound was plugged up with like yeah. some of that stuff. 
Um, and so I think that led to why he was able to go much further than I expected. You know, those single lung hits, at least for whitetails, are notorious for being a, t- you know, it should be, a, it should be, it's a shot you think that that deer would die, but many times they don't or they go much further than you think. Um, so it's kind of one of those dreaded shots that you hear about a lot. Oh, yeah. And elk on one lungs, I feel like they'll go miles. Yeah. Um, so I was fortunate he, he didn't go too far. I found him. It was a little bit of luck and a little bit of persistence, probably. Um, and I was really, I mean, it was a, it was a great public land buck, really fun hunt. Um, so it was great. Then headed to North Dakota. Hey, here's a simple but very meaningful gift idea for your mom or grandparent who lives across the country. These are great, dude. These are really nice things to give to people. It's a digital picture frame from Aura. It's perfect for sharing pics of all the things they can't be there for, from family vacations to their grandkids' graduation. Let's say your mom comes out. You take a bunch of pictures of your mom with your kids or whatever. When she goes home, you can greet her at home with all those pictures you just took on the frame. And you can also keep her up to date by updating the frame from afar. It's all done online. It's a ton of fun. Comes with unlimited storage and simple controls on the frame so you can upload as many photos as you want and mom can pick the perfect one. See why it was named the number one digital frame by Wirecutter, The Strategist, and Wired. Right now, you can save on the perfect gift that keeps on giving by visiting AuraFrames.com. That's A-U-R-A Frames.com. Make sure you use the promo code MEATEATER because for a limited time, you can get $20 off their best-selling frame with that code. The code being MEATEATER. AuraFrames.com, promo code MEATEATER. Hey, you ever needed something for your home but don't have the cash or credit to pay for it? Let's chat about how to get what you need when you need it. You can do that at Aaron's. Yep, you can rent to own appliances like washers, dryers, or refrigerators, furniture for your living room or bedroom, even tech like computers and gaming systems. Plus, Aaron's has great brands like HP, Samsung, and Ashley. And you can pay a little at a time until it's yours forever. Here's the cool part. Say you're renting a 65-inch smart TV and decide you don't want it anymore. At Aaron's, you can return it at any time. Or maybe you want to downsize to a 55-inch or upgrade to an 86-inch. You can do that too. Return it, then take home something new. Life's always changing. With Aaron's, your stuff can change right along with it. Keep it, return it, upgrade it. Aaron's fits your life instead of the other way around. So check out your nearest Aaron's store or visit Aaron's.com to see what I'm talking about. Approval isn't guaranteed and some restrictions apply. You got to see your local store for details. Did you know Fast Growing Trees is the biggest online nursery in the U.S. with more than 10,000 different kinds of plants? You can grow lemon, avocado, olive, or fig trees inside your home on top of the wide variety of houseplants available. Fast Growing Trees makes it easy to order online, and your plants are shipped directly to your door in one or two days. Along with their 30-day Alive and Thrive guarantee, they offer free plant consultation forever i've been shopping around on fast growing trees and i am fixing to get me a couple spruce trees for my yard right now they have some of the best deals online like up to half off on select plants our listeners get an additional 15 percent off their first purchase when using code me eater at checkout visit 
fastgrowingtrees.com and use code MEATEATER at checkout for an additional 15% off. Fastgrowingtrees.com, code MEATEATER. Offer is valid for a limited time. Minimum purchase may be required. Terms and conditions apply. What did you do with your deer? So because of that warm weather, I dropped him off at the processor. So he got it frozen? He got frozen. I figured just get him in the fridge right away, and then uh, I could go meet up with my friend who was across the border hunting the other spot. We had some, uh, with that elk I just got, it was hot. We lost a little meat, not a little, lost meat. And then I got home, and uh, I was just like, man, I just got to dive in and eat some just to find out what I'm dealing with. Yeah. Because I need to set my mind at ease. How was it? Well, I took a huge chunk of it and corned it. Because I wanted to be like, don't you feel like that's going to mask? Well, that's the thing. So here's the thing. I'll work backward from there. So I went to an extreme because if it's a little bit sour, I don't, you know, it's like you just got a tough, like there's a, there's a point at which you're like, yeah, it's a little bit sour, but not enough to warrant. So as I corned it, looking phenomenal. So now I'll, like I know that, I can, I, 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 they, that'll work, right? Like you damn sure know that you can make like sausage sticks out of it. You could probably make regular sausage out of it. I know that I can corn it, and now I'll I'll begin exploring. Right to the point where you're, you know, the, the end of the rope would be that you're cutting sashimi slices, and putting <laughs> like a little bit of coarse sea salt on it, and eating it. But I, I started rather than starting there and having a disappointing experience, yeah. I started at well, what what will I know will be good? My wife ate it, kids all ate it, no complaints. I didn't news. brine it quite long enough, so it was a huge block of it. And when you got in the middle, it was the brine hadn't hit. A little bit brown in the middle. Had it like St. Paddy's Day. Cabbage, carrots, taters, creamed horseradish. It's so good, man. Speaking of... Kids uh, don't like it. <laughs> then that, so they, they, they had to fight with them about that. Like, how you do? They don't like the corned meat? Yeah, just, they just, sometimes they're like a pain in the ass, man. Like boiled cabbage just somehow struck them as like, what in the world? I don't know why. Last night, I fried them up. Uh, burbot, fried burbot, French fries, and salad, and then every, and then I have to, the whole dinner. I don't need to say anything. <laughs> they clean that whole thing out. <laughs> but with making corn meat, I had to be like, dude, you're gonna have to square up, square up in your seat and eat your food. Square up and eat your food. Square up and eat your food. Fried fish, Damn. you don't say anything. Just talk to your wife. And they just sit there and eat. This is good. Good lessons for me to learn dude, now. Fried fish. All right. You got to train them up on it. But coming from the Midwest, like where fried fish is pretty normal. Um, fried fish and kids, just like, just give yourself a break now and then. If you're the kind of like, because we're strict, man. Like we're strict. We don't let them off the hook. As far as they're gonna have to eat what you're putting in front of yeah. them. Yeah. Like if I cook dog shit, they're gonna be like, you're gonna have to eat that. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's a good way to go. I don't know why. I don't think it actually. I don't know if it actually even helps. If you came and told me, I think it does. If you came and told me that it was actually detrimental and made your kids worse and less likely to be likable and less likely to be successful, I'd still make them eat it. Because <laughs> it's principle. just like it's not about. I'm not even playing long game. I'm playing short game. But I don't like to take them to someone else's house when we go to someone else's house to eat, and we're like, you know, square up, eat. That's just how it. That's how it's going to be. I can't. I'm not going to have them go there and have to I have like someone nat- make some extra thing for them. Yeah. Naturally, I feel like the kids' uh, like idea of menu and the palatability of, of what they like to eat will naturally just narrow down. 
if you leave them up to their own decision. Left to their own device. Oh, well, yeah. for sure. Where, where the reason I always are like, yeah, you're just going to eat it. Like, this is all we're having? Like, yeah, <laughs> eat it, you know? And that, and that gives them that wide range where, yeah, because we hung out with uh, – some family of mine last summer and it was uh careful it was yeah no (laughs) look i'm just saying how it was but there was like adult food and then there was kid food yeah kids love it oh yeah if my kids go into a situation like that it's like oh you could have these buttered noodles yeah right (laughs) my kids would eat buttered noodles every day you're right yeah yeah you're not there yet no he's he's eating solid food now oh really still drinking mama's milk Still drinking mama's milk, but twice a day he's having, you know, some little veggies or he's dabbling with real food. I like, gave my kids their first chunks it. of venison at nine months. I'm going to do that when I get home. We did it where you chew it up and then give it to him like a street pigeon. Like you actually <laughs> stick Not your mouth down there. <laughs> no, but I would take meat, chew it all up, and then give it to them to eat. I mean, they're drinking milk out of their ma's breast. That's true. <laughs> they can eat some meat out of their dad's mouth. <laughs> I, I, Kurt, are you, you guys got young kids. Are you guys? Yeah. Do you guys do the like? Like, do you placate them or do you? No, uh-uh, no. It's uh, they they get what we eat. And so, if you're um, cooking salmon or eating salmon, yeah, yeah. It's uh, that's really all that we have is wild game salmon, and gotcha. you know, that's that's a majority of our of our diet in in one form or another, and. No, uh, my wife, Nicole, does a really good job of that. And she, the, the other thing we found is if you keep putting it in front of them, you know, the first couple of times I'll buck it. And then, you know, kind of our rule is, well, if it's a new food, you just have to try it. We call, it a, plight, to, we call it a plight bite. Yeah, yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah, it's all kinds of stuff. But, you know, it's it's working That's because funny. they will be picky if they want. But, you know, just the other day we took them out to sushi. And a total experiment. And the next thing you know, they're eating everything there. Where'd you guys go? They're, Dave's. Oh my god, it is awesome. Yeah. But I mean, they're eating calamari. They're eating things that you know most kids don't want to stick a squid in their mouth. Yeah, you know to start, but they they tried I it and then they dug this. it. I'll give you a sack of squid because um, we're still sitting on some squid from from Seattle. But uh, I fried it for them, and they're like, "That's good, right? That's squid." And then I grilled them some, and I had to defend that it was actually squid. <laughs> yeah. Like that's not squid. Everyone knows that a squid is fried. Yeah. That's some other bullshit you're trying to slip <laughs> past me right there. <laughs> yeah, that's a fact. Yeah, it's fun. I mean, it's not fun. It's aggravating. Like It's just like aggravating at dinner. Just saying the same things over and over. And what I don't get is there will just be that one day when you put it on the plate and they fought it, and then it's gone. They mm-hmm. just ate it all. Just one day they decided that, okay, yeah, I'm not going to fight it. I'm just going to eat this and... Yeah, but 10,000 years ago, kids weren't asking for something else. This had what you had. Yeah, or you went hungry. Probably the two. Probably not even that long ago. I was going, way, I was going to a way safe number. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You got anything you want to add, Kurt? Lots of good hunting stories, man. Yeah, lots of I got a follow-up hunters. question on Very your different hunt. hunting stories. Because we talked a lot about gear, you know, before you went out. Um, was there anything that you brought but you didn't use? His uh, gun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's that's what I was thinking as I was hiking out. Like, I, saw that man, I could have saved soon. a lot of weight by just bringing some pepper spray. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
No, but funny enough, one of the things that I picked up after we talked about it, you guys were talking about bringing a multi-tool, yeah. like a Leatherman of some sort. I started thinking, what would I do if, you know, say a round got jammed in or, mm. you know, a screw comes loose and, you know, I've, I've had other little things, but I got one of those little tiny Leatherman squirts. Don't know that one. Yeah. Well, it's, it, it's two ounces. And I don't know exactly how much you'd get done with it, but it's a pretty cool little tool. It has all that stuff. So, yeah, there was a few things like that that I didn't use. We got into your head. You did. So you got into my head a little bit. Yeah. See, and then yeah. your back came in at 27 instead of 26. <laughs> yeah, I know. Bumped it up. Do you uh, do you bring a butt pad, like a sitting pad? Yeah, I do. I took a um, Thermarest, made those old Ridge Crest or Ridge Runner, whatever. I can't remember what they were called, but it's just a real thin foam ones. Mm-hmm, you mm-hmm. can just cut it down. And Before they started like making the egg crate pattern. Yeah, exactly. I don't like that. These guys, like guys I work with, use the egg crate ones. But we only run it because that's all that's available. Because, yeah, I think we'd all run smooth. And the major gripe is is that the, the water. The water. You know, if it. it gets wet yeah. at all, it just helps. Like it. It's like the land of 10,000 lakes under your butt. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah. But I still have the old style. I got like a piece. What I did at one point in time, I got where I cut off just a three-foot chunk of my sleeping pad, thinking that my legs didn't need to be on a pad anyway. Now I'm thinking about taking a couple more inches off that and making that my... Sitting pad. No, that's a that's good a trick. Na- that's you a know, napping a, pad. A lot too. of people do that, and then to replace your pad, you just put your backpack flat down there. Just to, It's not going to yeah. pad you, but it's going to give you some separation from the cold ground. Especially during the winter, I do that. I sit on my pack all the time. Mm-hmm. I don't even hardly Rather pull out. Rather sit in the snow and yeah. shit. Yeah. yeah, it gets you just that little bit of elevation. Yeah. Yeah, but that, no, I use I used most everything I brought, you know, other than the, the survival type things. Harder than a woodpecker. So, the, but the follow-up question to that follow-up question is: Was there anything that four days in you were like, oh, should have brought that? Wish I had that. Well, that one morning I woke up and it was just socked in and it was blowing, and I started thinking, man, I wish I would have brought a book. Mm. If you could have brought a book, what book would you have grabbed? What do you? Uh... Oh man, I don't even know. I probably would have asked my wife Nicole what she was reading and grabbed, <laughs> grabbed taking her book. Yeah. yeah. What's good? That's funny because I packed around a. Uh, no, actually, I did read an article out of a out of a magazine last week. Yeah, I like to bring magazines because I was thinking in the back of my head I could burn them. Yeah. And the light. Yeah, and if you know, with our we're always with the crews, so you don't feel bad ripping articles out and passing them around. You know. I might have told this story before. This is my concluding thought. Uh, we got stuck in the fog one time hunting sheep for a couple of days. Did I tell this? My brother had a book. Uh-uh. It was like the it was the biography. How the hell do you wound up with this book? This isn't on the New York Times bestseller list. It was a really <laughs> old biography of the first superintendent of Denali National Park. <laughs> but he had it paperback. And we got stuck in the fog. And so he took it and cut it in thirds. Right down the spine. And he's like, well, I get the first third first because it's my book. <laughs> and I want to have to read. Like, I read, like, the second third first, and then we, because there's three of us, switched it around. Then he got to read the middle or whatever, and then he got to read the beginning, and he got to read it in the proper order. <laughs> but that got us through a couple of days of sitting in a tent. Yeah. Reading about that guy. The best part of that book, I, I don't, the, really the only detail of that book I remember is how vital it was 
for the people he hung out with to kill a bear in the fall for lard. That it was just of paramount importance to stock up on lard. Were they black bear or grizzly yeah. or black, black, black bear? bears in the fall to render out the lard for baking? Because if you didn't have lard, just was no fun. Bacon biscuits, wild fruit pie crust. Now, not knowing, can you use the fat from sheep or anything else in the it's same? Like or is it tallow. different? It doesn't is have it? people like. Here's the thing. I was just reading this book, uh, Land of Feast and Famine, which is about fur trappers in the, you know, they kind of were flirting with the edge of the Arctic and the boreal forest in in, uh, Northwest Territories. Point being, this is in the the early 1900s. Uh, Now we look at like deer tallow, okay, like deer fat is waxy and people trim it off because the flavor's off. It spoils in your freezer. It coats the inside of your mouth with wax. These guys would trade in, they would trade in rump fat. So when you like, if you kill a summer deer, you've seen this, Mark, no doubt, where you skin it and along the rump, you got these big flat hunks of fat. They would square those pieces up and use it as a currency. It was of such value to them to slice and eat it. And that's tallow. But like you don't, and when we were kids, we would, me and my buddy Eddie Lulofs used to take deer fat and melt it on a burner and put it on our boots to waterproof our boots. But it doesn't smell that great. If you take bear fat, which is more like, you know, it's not waxy. So you take bear fat, mountain lion fat would work because that's not waxy at all. We were eating that and that's pretty good. Pig fat, and that renders into a lard. You can make a similar product with deer, but it's tallow. So have you ever tried rendering deer like we rendered yeah, the bear rendered fat? Me and Eddie Lulofs rendered a bunch of it. And my friend Layton. And, that, and the product you get from that is still smells same, not, No, same. it doesn't smell nice. It doesn't and smell still nice. Waxy and I and think that still... it would still be waxy to eat. My friend Layton would do, he did a couple of versions. He would make a boot waterproofing. He would get. He would go out and harvest his own pine pitch. He would track honeybees. <laughs> he'd sit in his yard and see a honeybee, and he'd watch it. You know the Tom Petty song, "I Can Track a Single Bee to Its Hive." Layton couldn't. He would. He would be in his yard. He'd be in his yard, and a honeybee would come by, and he'd watch that honeybee go, and he'd mark in his mind where he saw that honeybee vanish. The next day, or whenever he had more time, he'd stand in that spot. <laughs> wow! And wait till a honeybee came by and mark where it went. And again and again and again until he was standing at the hive with his chainsaw and he'd chainsaw the tree apart and get the beeswax out. He'd go out and harvest his own pine pitch. He would wound pine trees and get the pitch and then render down deer fat and combo them to make like a tri-blend waterproofing agent. Dude was hardcore. That's, That's a lot ass, of work. Man. Dude was hardcore. He one time had a sheep and a bear killed a sheep and he killed the bear. And fell to the whole thing and ate the bear. <laughs> the whole thing worked out for him. Might have been a goat. Sat his own goat carcass, mourning over his goat carcass while waiting for the bear to come back. Dude was way hardcore. He was a tree man, arborist. Um, what was the point I was making? Point being, I don't, I don't think you would bake, and I can't say this with certitude, certainty, I don't think you would bake with deer tallow. I think that someone should try, and I might even try this year. 
but you can definitely bake with bear lard. And I one time rendered down fat from a buffalo, and that fat was good. And I kept some of that in a jar just to see how long it lasts. And I kept it for five, six years. And the color slowly changed over time. It started out pretty orange because the keratin, because it was in the summer and their fat turns orange in the summer when they're, eating, when they're on green grass. Um, and over time, it turned kind of whitish and then kind of yellowish. But it was good to eat. But that fat's good to eat. It's not waxy. And it's not off-tasting. But the off-tasting is something that we've only recently decided is off-tasting because, like I said, if you read about indigenous peoples, they trafficked in it and liked it. They didn't think it was off-tasting, apparently. Yeah, that's my concluding thought. You got a concluder, Mark? You know, I guess the only thing I would say is just, um, we've talked about this in the past, but one of the greatest challenges that, a lot of hunters, especially east of the Mississippi, deal with is, is access, right? Yes. Finding places to hunt. Their places continue to lose. People are losing permission. Stuff's getting leased up. It's harder Sold and harder. Sold out to find from place. under them. Yeah. And I think I just echo the fact that there are a lot of great public land opportunities for white-tailed deer hunters. It doesn't, I think there's a misconception and it's changing. Definitely it is changing over the last three to five years. But there's been this misconception that public land for deer hunters is lousy. Um, and there are spots that are really challenging, no doubt about it. But you can yeah, find... If you go down to your state game area and park in the marked parking lot, Yeah, it might be a little chaotic. Yeah. But you can find like really interesting, exciting opportunities that you don't need to pay, pay a lease fee, you don't need to pay an outfitter. Um, especially if you go west of them, if you can take a little drive, go west of the Mississippi, these great plains states have tremendous whitetail hunting opportunities that are not getting tapped into yet. And it's a fun little adventure. Camp out. See some new country. Eat hot dogs. Eat hot dogs. Grill up a steak. Eat baked beans out of the can. Check for squirrels. Pay more attention <laughs> to squirrels. <laughs> so I would just say, you know, it's possible. It's a lot of fun. Doesn't need to cost a lot of money. Um, something to consider. Janice? And if you want to be a sheep hunter, you don't have to go to Alaska and pay $20,000 or get super lucky. You can come to Montana and just over the counter buy an unlimited just get sheep abused. <laughs> Go on a great hike. Just get a, yeah, a beautiful scenic window. No hike. need to bring your rifle, but uh, yeah, you could be a sheep hunter for next to nothing. A guy wrote in. He always looks at the show notes and sees that talks to you. You know, it's like your name's always in there, Giannis. He was thinking it was Janice. Mm-hmm. And he's like, man, this Janice person never says shit. <laughs> <laughs> he's expecting to hear a female. Yeah, it's like Steve and this Yanni guy. Mm-hmm. But then Janice must be someone like an engineer who never gets to talk. <laughs> I, I think I've told you this before, but one of my first jobs was answering phones for my dad when his company was just based at, at his house. And after school, um, I would just roll in and answer phones for two or three hours. Building and, inspector. Uh, this is yeah, funny. He's building yeah, inspector. Home inspector. And, uh, I would, it was before, when I was real young, before my voice broke, they, nobody could tell. And so I would just roll with it. They, they just thought they were speaking to a, a young woman, I guess. <laughs> Janice says, like, yeah, 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 okay, yeah. You know? <laughs> really? Yeah. I mean, so I was, I mean, I was young, you know, I was probably, I don't know, 12. So you got good character to be able to do that. Just run with it. Like, you know, my wife is, is real mean and didn't change her name to my name. <laughs> so we check into a hotel. We check into a hotel and they call up and they're like, hi, Mr. Finch. I'm always like, man, man, 
Let me come down, everybody. How'd that go? Or maybe that's not a conversation for this podcast. How'd it go? Like, why is she so mean? No, no, no. Like, how did the the, the decision to keep Finch versus... Because she, she swindled me. She said, well, I don't feel like going through all the paperwork. When my passport expires, maybe I'll do it then. Passport came and went. She went out and got like a little email address that kind of throws a nod. It's it's horrible. I have to say, <laughs> I say, this is the thing I always bring up. Like, I say like... um. People have to be like, oh, the Ranellos are coming over. And her too. (laughs) (laughs) My wife's reasoning was she'd had that name already for nearly 30 years. So she should have been sick of it. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) So she kept hers too. Oh, yeah. Me and Yanni, man. Wow. Got no control. We got no less. control over our women, man. So that's why you guys get along so well. You can kind of yeah, commiserate. Our women, <laughs> our women just, our women just run over us, man. We got, we got no say or nothing. Oh, uh, that's brutal. Yeah. <laughs> we just sit there and just take it. I'm Mrs. Sorry. Kenyon and Mrs. Rasco. Yeah. Oh yeah. No questions there. I bet really? these days it's fifty fifty. Yeah. I feel like I know a lot of gals that. I'd be annoyed if my daughter took some dude's name. Really? Yeah. It's wrong her name. <laughs> She's got a good name. It's got a good ring to it. Oh, hold on. There's a name for what you just did. <laughs> yeah, it's I called hypocrisy. So. <laughs> yeah, huh? Double standard. Kurt, you got any concluders? Final thoughts? No, man. I'm doing good. You got it all. You're spent. Yeah. Yeah. No, no it was really interesting. No, that was mine. It was to it was working off of Mark's telling everybody they can go be a sheep hunter for next year. Oh, that's nothing. right. That was a good concluder. All right, man. Guys, uh, next time you got a couple hunting stories, you know where to find us. Come back and join in. Thanks. Thanks. Hey, you ever needed something for your home but don't have the cash or credit to pay for it? You can do that at Aaron's. Yep, you can rent to own appliances like washers, dryers, or refrigerators, furniture for your living room or bedroom, even tech. Plus, Aaron's has great brands like HP, Samsung, and Ashley. Life's always changing. Keep it, return it, upgrade it. Aaron's fits your life instead of the other way around. So check out your nearest Aaron's store or visit Aaron's.com to see what I'm talking about. Approval isn't guaranteed and some restrictions apply. You got to see your local store for details. This show is sponsored in part by BetterHelp. It is a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you and how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that they need and that meets them where they are and helps them get through challenges. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible. It's simple to use. You can connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com.